It Was Almost Real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast, Episode 37. And unlike previous episodes, you're not going to hear music for the next 30 seconds because I decided to get rid of that. And we're just going to do the music now at the outro at the very end of the program. And I'm joined in studio again by Two Zimmermans Too Many. I'm joined here by Dan, Dangerous Dan Zimmerman and my son Caleb Zimmerman. I think Hello. we're not. I think we're one. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I wanted to surprise you guys. I'm actually going to put your name on the podcast art if oh. I can find lettering small enough. Oh, yeah. Ah, okay. So so, wow. so they don't just come after you. They can sue all three of us then for... for uh, libel? You know, yeah. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. But, well, libel is when you write about them. That's be true. be slander. That's yeah. correct. <laughs> and as long as your voice and your opinion, I don't think it could really be slander. And when we review this week's match that we're going to review... Mm-hmm. To give equal time, They're, they might feel a little slandered when I get done. Your lawyer tell you that after the rant about Disney? No. <laughs> hey, if Disney Plus wants to come sue somebody, come after me. I'd be happy to go into court and say raising the price on something sixty percent is absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But you got me off my update. So. Okay. Right. Um, I have started on the new project on Ed Strangler Lewis, the, his early career. I haven't found anything earth-shattering quite yet, but I and I actually knew this going into the project. The year he was wrestling in Kentucky in 1913, well, he wrestled several years in Kentucky, but he started there in 1913. That is where he met his manager slash promoter, Billy Sandow, and he, Billy Sandow, and Joseph Tootsmont would eventually become the Gold Dust Trio, which will actually roll into the subject for our next several podcasts because I realized... I had made a horrible omission in this history podcast mm. and not going into several lengthy episodes about who I think is the only person who could rival Frank Gotch and Ed Strangler Lewis for the greatest American professional wrestler. Even though he was not American, he was from Poland, mm. but he was a great wrestler that the majority of his career took place in America. And yeah. he died here. He's buried in Maine. Mm. So, before we get into anything uh, too groundbreaking, or I go back on one of my rants about Disney+, Plus, um, this episode is going to come out on November Monday, November 13th, and the following Monday will be the 15th anniversary of my dad's death. And when I say dad, I'm talking about my stepfather, who raised me, Ernest Charles Diaz. Mm-hmm. So, the only grandpa you really knew, because yeah. Ken Sr. died three days after you were born. Sadly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my parents divorced around the time I was 11, and when I was about 12, my mother married my stepdad, Ernest Charles Diaz, who from all from that point forward was our dad. Mm-hmm. And besides me and my two natural sisters, dad had five daughters, so the eight of us are a blended family. So when mom and dad used to talk about us, they'd always say, Eight kids, 26 grandchildren, uh, 14 great-grandchildren, which there's more than that now. I think we're up to about 20. I think so. And we have four great-greats. Wow. Yeah. It used to, you know, the one thing that used to tick us off is, you know, that's back 80s, 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, Tracy would introduce me as her brother. Yeah. And people would say, well, you guys don't look alike. And Tracy would say, well, yeah, you know, my dad married his mom, but, you know, we grew up in the same house. We mm-hmm. Oh, that's not your right sister. No, that is my right sister. And it, who are you to get to be the yeah. one to, to determine that or not? Right, yeah, it was absolutely. So. I mean, you know, you guys, 
like you said, you grew up in the same house. You had the same yeah, parental she's units. My sister. Five of the eight of us have got fun or got burial plots all together because we're all going to be buried together. Exactly. You know? So if you don't think that's my right sister, walk east till your hat floats, my man. Right. <laughs> but to get back to uh, Dad, Dad is really instrumental in my love of combat sports history because he introduced me to boxing when mm-hmm. I was eleven and twelve years old. And one of the things I didn't say when my mom and dad got married, my dad was forty nine years old. Four of his five daughters were adults. The only one of my sisters that was still, well, Tracy lived with us too, but Kelly was 15. Mm-hmm. And dad was 49. He married a 36-year-old with a 12-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 6-year-old. Yeah. And he raised us. I tell people all the time, don't feel bad for me. I had the greatest dad in the world. He just didn't bring me into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know you've got lots of fond memories of your grandpa, Ernie. Oh, yeah. As well do as I do. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, who is uh, my natural father's nephew, uh, he and Dan's uh, mom were brother and sister. You have lots of fond memories of Dad because you'd come over to the house all the yeah, time. Yeah, um, yeah. Because it was it wasn't it was weird for there to be uh, during especially during the summer if there was a weekend where we weren't if I was over at your house or you was over at my house. It yep. Was, the funniest thing, I, I still remember when we were in high school, it had started snowing, and you were mm-hmm. supposed to come over. Yeah. And you were like, yeah, I guess I'm not coming over, because I said, no, Dad said we're going to come get you. Mm-hmm. He's oh, God, you. yes. He said it's just an inch or two. <laughs> yeah. So, did you ever ride with Grandpa in the snow? I rode with him many times, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Grandpa Nat didn't come around the corner in the snow he slid around the corners of the mm. snow in that monte carlo yep <laughs> so i look over there dan is holding on to everything that could be held on to yeah. over there and i just kind of waved i'm like he never hits anything <laughs> he never he never loses control of the car we don't know how he does it but he doesn't <laughs> my favorite was the light turned red once and a school bus was coming he goes we can make it and he speeds across the highway <laughs> We made it. It wasn't wrong. <laughs> we can make it. <laughs> well, you know, he hated your Aunt Sherry to drive him places. Yeah. So he'd always have me take him to the doctor's appointments. And that's the time I almost crashed the car into the side of the garage because he told me, hey, roll up the windows. We're going to run the air conditioning. Mm. And I'm like, we're going to run the air conditioning? Because yeah. when I was a kid... He didn't run the air Dan rode in some of those in the summer. Both windows down. I, to, I told Ken, I said, next time Ernie's going to drive, we'll take my car. <laughs> because he would not run the AC. He said it burned too much gas. Well, it was a myth, but Dad believed yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So never ran the AC. So I'm like 31. Dad's like 68. We're I'm backing out the, the thing. And uh, well, I couldn't be. I was 31. Dad would have probably been in his early 70s. Okay, Magic Matt, Dad's 36 years older than me. If he's 31, he's 67. Yep. Okay. So, backing out. There's a huge whiteboard in the studio, folks. <laughs> so, you got the, so, you got the image yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah, that whiteboard's in my brain right now. So, I'm backing out. Mm. And Dad goes, hey, roll up the windows. I want to run the AC. We're going to run the AC? 
He goes, I can't take the heat anymore. I'm like, why couldn't that have happened 10 years ago when I was riding around with <laughs> Although I always say when the air conditioning goes out in the car, I always take the car because I got that great Ernest Charles Diaz training. Yeah. The heat don't bother me. It's got that 255 air conditioning. Yeah, that's, that's what, what we always say. 55 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but he, uh, he says, well, I took him to the doctor's appointment. I brought him back. We grabbed some food. And he says, man, I, I really like riding with you. He goes, your sister is a maniac. I said, I know, Dad. She learned to drive like that riding downtown with you. Yeah. And he goes, what? I said, yeah, she drives just like you. He goes, do you think so? I said, yeah, I drive like Mom. That's why you like me to drive you. <laughs> oh. So when Mom comes home, he goes, did she really learn to drive like that for me? She goes, yes, Ernie, you're a maniac. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whipping in and out between cars and everything. Especially downtown, you got to just downtown uh, St. Louis. You got to oh, drive like that. Yeah, when he would drive down Forty in the morning, uh huh. I just didn't look at the road. I'm like, I, I can't. <laughs> Keep your eyes closed and <laughs> But so I just wanted to acknowledge, you know, 15 years since Dad passed and. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought about doing a podcast, but that would never work because, number one, this is a wrestling history podcast. But yeah. Number two, I don't know that I could, if we really got deep into the subject, I don't know if I could get everything out. So. All right, yeah. So, but I just wanted to acknowledge that, and he is one of the big reasons that I'm going to, he hated wrestling. Yeah. Um, you know, he never could get into MMA because he didn't understand the grappling side of it. Ah, uh, I got gotcha. you. And he liked that. He liked the legitimate part of that. Mm-hmm. But he just told me, he goes, I, I, don't, I don't understand that. And that's what I love, the jiu-jitsu and the judo. And yeah, but when they just, get the guy in the armbar. Yeah, he, yeah. he did never understood that. So he never really got into that as much. But if I had it on, he wouldn't tell me turn it turn off, off like yeah. he would if I had Russell on. Right. <laughs> um, but that's where my interest in combat sports uh, come from. And he also inadvertently played a huge role in me becoming a wrestling fan because my... Sister Vicky, my oldest sister, his oldest daughter, was a huge wrestling fan, and nobody else would go with her to the matches. Right, yeah. So mm-hmm. when Mom and Dad were, I think they were still dating when Vicky first started taking me, um, she said, hey, I heard you uh, watch Wrestling Chase. I said, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. She said, would you go to the matches with me if I have tickets? I'm like, well, yeah. She goes, I've always got two tickets, but I never go because I don't have anybody to go with me. Oh, So well. we went for years. So... When Sam Muchnick had it that one year, she had season tickets. She and I went every, like every three Friday. It was every oh, yeah. third Friday down to Keel, and um, then the you know they'd have the two big Checkerdome cards. Yeah, and we did that for about a year after Sam retired, and then we both kind of looked at each other and like this is really starting to suck. Yeah. So then we would pick and choose. If she saw cards she really liked, she'd call me and say, "Hey, were you thinking about going to that?" I was like, yeah, I got our tickets. So she would get the tickets in that. Oh, cool. So when World Class got a little bit more involved with St. Louis in 84, we went to several of those. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. But I think by 85 and 86, we were pretty much yeah done with that. Yeah. So, but she was one of the biggest influences on me being a huge wrestling fan because she took me to the live matches, mm-hmm. which were much better than the TV matches because TV matches oh, were yeah. usually squashes to yeah. get guys over and stuff. Because you never know, you never heard of these guys on there before, then you know, right. wrestling their stars, and right? But then you'd go to the matches, you see Ken Patera versus Ted DiBiase. Yeah, you t- well, and it's like uh, Dutch, Man- Dutch Mantel said, he says, 
You never saw Hogan, Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair on TV. You had to buy a ticket and go to the matches to see them yeah. wrestle. Yeah. Yep. If you saw Hogan on TV, it was to set up an angle. Yeah, or now, it was like Flair. You would see a little bit more on TV when Crockett was running mm-hmm. in '86, '87, mm-hmm. because it was starting to become more of a t- television. Now you'll see all the big stars on TV. Yeah, because yeah. it's more a TV product than it is a live show product. Mm-hmm. But it used to be the only way you made money from wrestling was selling tickets to live events because there was no pay per view. What was it? Yeah. The studio. There was no studio pay- events. Right. Mm-hmm. There was no paying for. The uh, TV rights and stuff like that. A lot mm. of the times they paid for the show or they got the show for free, but they had to give up some advertising with the... Yeah. Promotional and, sponsors. Right. Give up. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody paid to get in the studio. So the wrestlers uh-huh. on the TV, mm. they weren't making very much yeah. because there was not... The main eventers, from what I understand, didn't make anything, or if they did, it was like a nominal fee. Mm-hmm. The guys that came in to put them over, they might get a little bit more money because they were putting the star over who's mm-hmm. going to be in the arena. Yeah. And a lot of times, um, Al Snow said that back in those days, like he wrestled a couple times and uh, wrestling at the chase, down at the chase, mm-hmm. uh, right before, uh, well, I think Sam was gone, but it was right before... They completely lost everything. Mm-hmm. And no, it was Sam was still there. But Brody, he wrestled Brody. Oh, goodness And Brody gave him the 20 bucks he made for the match, you know, because Al mm-hmm. Snow got paid by the promoter. And then Brody gave him the 20 bucks because he made him look so good. Yeah. And he said that was common. The big stars would do that. Ah. I got a funny story about Al Snow, but I'll leave it for a later time. Well, you could tell it now if you want to. Well, it was, uh, I heard it from Triple H. Um, he Personally, was, or you heard him on an interview? I heard him on an interview talk about it. Um, Conan O'Brien was interviewing Triple H, and he said, well, I never see you smile in the ring. He said, what's going on? He says, "He said I broke character once in the ring. He said, I was wrestling Al Snow. And he said, I picked Al up in a suplex, and I was holding him up there. And he said, all of a sudden, the audience started laughing. And I'm looking around, and the referee walked around to look, and I've still got Al up in the air, he says. And the referee starts laughing, and he says, what are they all laughing at? He says, Al's penis is out. So <laughs> so he said, I dropped down real quick, said, your penis is out. <laughs> so wardrobe malfunctions were rather common in wrestling. Yeah. But I thought that was a pretty funny story. I had never heard that story before, yeah. so that was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've heard Triple H talk about Owen Hart holding him down and not letting him up a couple yeah. times. <laughs> That's the kind of fun and games you used to have back then. Oh. You know what we should have shown be- mm. to him before we did this podcast? Dusty Rhodes beating the crap out of Tully Blanchard with the bat? That would have been good. Uh-huh. But we should have let him see a Young Bucks match. Oh God! I'm go- if we do that, I'm going to the other room. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the AEW fans love these guys. Well, hey, some, uh, some of the AEW fans love these guys, and you you have to see them because mm-hmm. you've seen a lot of the older wrestling. Yeah, you can see there's a huge size difference mm-hmm. between yeah. back then and now. Yeah, like um, I said, these you're, you you'd be a giant. In oh, you'd yeah. be a monster. You're probably yeah. both of the young bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look. So speaking of guys that were big, mm-hmm. there's 
to me, there's only one guy. Well, there's there's two, but Lewis passed the second one, and they and never came back. Once Lewis surpassed him, yeah, he never could compete with Lewis anymore. That was Joe Stecker. Yeah, they did have like a two-hour shoot in twenty-eight, but Stecker ended up just saying, "I, I know I can't beat you." Yeah, and then they worked the finish of it. But they had several contests, and Stecker was a little bit ahead of him at the time. But then when Lewis finally beat him in, like, the third match, then it was never... Stecker really never threatened Lewis again after that. Right. Mm -hmm. But the person I want to talk to talk about next wrestled Frank Gotch and lost, but then Gotch would never wrestle him again. Yeah. And ten years later... He comes back to the United States, and he's wrestling again, and he's in his early 40s. Mm. And Ed Strangler Lewis says, outside of his training partner, Joseph Tutsmont, the only person that he thinks could actually beat him in a legitimate contest is this wrestler. Yeah. And this guy's name is Stanislaw Sabisco. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was born in Poland in 1880. He comes to the United States specifically at the end of 1909 to have a match with Frank Gotch. Okay. Frank Gotch won the world title from George Hackenschmidt in 1908. And he's such a dominant champion that one of the things his manager, Emil Clank, does is he finds foreign wrestlers who have a reputation in Europe mm-hmm. and gets them to come to the United States to wrestle Gotch. Yeah. Because it's easier to get people to pay bigger money to see the foreign wrestlers mm-hmm. than to see the guys Gotch is already stretched here in, in the States. Mm-hmm. So, Zabisco comes in early 1909. He has a uh, match with Gotch that's not a title match, but where he agrees, <coughs> he, too many pronouns. Vince McMahon would throw something at me. Uh, <laughs> Frank Gotch agrees that he has to throw Zabisco twice in an hour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's not able to throw him at all. Yeah. Uh, this match may have been worked, though because it was not uncommon for those guys to work matches mm-hmm. leading up to a big match. Because the title match is going to be in June in 1910. This is December mm-hmm. of 1909. They're going to wrestle the title match in June in Chicago. Okay. So, And I think they drew 10,000 fans for that match. But anyway, Zabisco, when he gets to the States, he's a Greco-Roman wrestling specialist. Mm-hmm. All the world title matches are conducted by catches catch can wrestling rules. Yeah. So he's going to have to learn catch wrestling as he's so he goes on this tour for the six months, and when he starts the tour, he's two hundred sixty pounds. He's five foot nine, two hundred sixty pounds. He's built like a beer keg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the end of this tour in June, he's almost two hundred thirty pounds. So he loses thirty pounds for this tour, mm-hmm. and he's got two wrestlers with him all the time that he's training catch wrestling okay and he beats everybody nobody beats him in these matches and these matches are contested under catch wrestling rules they're not contested under greco-roman but he is such a good shooter that nobody can take him off his feet and he eventually catches these guys and gets them down he has the match with gotch in june of 1910 Gotch had a reputation for being a dirty wrestler, mm-hmm. but he was not a dirty wrestler like Evan Strangler Lewis was a dirty wrestler. 
Okay. Evan Strangler Lewis was a dirty wrestler in that if you pissed him off, he would hurt you on purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, besides Zorikichi Matsuda, and we've talked about Gallagher, who we put the point of the elbow in the guy's throat. Yeah. He was wrestling a guy in a... They were working. Mm. And the guy did something to make him mad, and uh, Evan Lewis wrenched his arm... And the, yeah. the guy's screaming at the referee, and he goes, "Hey, you got to give up," mm-hmm. you know. But they, they were working, yeah. and then all of a sudden, Lewis shoots on him because he got mad about something, and injures the guy's arm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the kind of person Lewis was. Gotcha's mm-hmm. cheating was more on the lines of trying to win the match. Mm-hmm. I know he hurt a couple of guys with a toehold on purpose. But for the most part, Gotch was more like Ed Strangler Lewis. Ed Strangler Lewis knew all the hooks, mm-hmm. but he never hurt anybody in the shoot. He just punched him in the face when they made him mad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gotch was more like Gotch would palm strike guys, headbutt guys, but it was to confuse them, to make them mad, to get them upset so he could win time. He fouled Hackenschmidt for two straight hours in their title fight in 1908 toward a point where Hackenschmidt just gave up. Yeah, he just said, "I'm done. I quit. I can't yeah. beat him," and just walked off because he'd been fouled for two hours. The referee was never going to stop it, yeah. and he couldn't get Gotch down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he figured eventually I'm going to get caught with something. So he just said, "I'm done." And I really admire Hackenschmidt. Hackenschmidt was one of my heroes when when I went into that book. Mm-hmm. Gotch to me was the bad guy, but I, I ended up having much more respect for Gotch. So Gotch's cheating was always tactical. He was always trying to find a way to win, and sometimes winning was cheating and confusing people. Well, didn't Bobby Heenan have a saying for that? <laughs> it's been attributed to Bobby Heenan. It's been attributed to Jesse Ventura. Uh-huh. You know, what is it? Win if you win if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was attributed to lots of different eels. Gotcha's cheating was always to win. Gotcha mm-hmm. always wanted to win. So in this match with Sabisco, he walks out. They always had a customary handshake mm-hmm. uh, to start the match. Gotch basically just touches his hand on the top mm-hmm. and then immediately tackles him off of the handshake. And back then, pins were one second. You know, your shoulders yeah. hit the mat. It was it wasn't even one second. Your yeah. shoulders hit the mat. It was a fall. That was it. Yeah. His, he tackles him. His shoulders hit the mat. Fall. I, I think it was like three seconds, six seconds, something like that. Yeah. Because there's a drawing they put in the newspaper of the Gotch handshake where he's tackling <laughs> the guy's hands. <laughs> this so unnerves Zabisco that he was furious and he was going to quit. Mm. He was like, he, and they convinced him. To go on with the match because they're like, you can't win the world title if you just get up and forfeit. You walk out of this ring, it's forfeit, it's done. Mm-hmm. Who knows when you're ever going to get a title shot again? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which the answer to that was he wasn't going to get another title shot until the 1920s, but he had no idea knowing that. Well, that's not true. He won the Greco Roman world title in 1914. Yeah. Maybe we'll tell that story next week. But anyway, so they convinced Sabisco, okay, go back out there and wrestle Gotch. He wrestles Gotch, and Gotch beats him after 30 minutes. So Gotch is one and two straight falls. Mm-hmm. Zabisco immediately starts campaigning for a rematch and says, I'm going back to Poland for a couple of months. 
and he takes these two wrestlers that he's been doing catch wrestling with with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he says, but I want a rematch next year. Okay, so this is 1910. 1911 is the year that they finally coax. They've been trying to coax Hackenschmidt mm. to come back to the United States for a rematch for three years. But Hackenschmidt's knee was so bad from the years of wrestling and stuff. And he had, sometimes it's called water on the knee, sometimes it's called housemaid's knee, sometimes mm. it's called preacher knee. Mm-hmm. His knees were seriously debilitated. Yeah. In 1910, he starts training a wrestler named Adolph Ernst, who would become Ad Santel, uh, mm-hmm. one of the most famous hookers of all time. And he starts training guys in Europe and starts thinking, you know, I could get myself in good enough shape that I could have this rematch. And they know it's going to be a big money match, which yeah. Hackenschmidt saw almost nothing of. Mm-hmm. So they finally get Hackenschmidt to come back in 1911. And Hackenschmidt has a series of matches which a cup with a couple of the guys in the Farmer Burns camp. These are the guys that train with Gotch. Mm-hmm. And Hackenschmidt beats them all, but he doesn't have an easy time of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Gotch already knows he is going against a severely limited version of George Hackenschmidt. He's not the Hackenschmidt he fought or wrestled three years ago. Right. Yeah. Hackenschmidt signs for a match with Zabisco. Hmm. And Hackenschmidt agrees to throw Zabisco twice in an hour. And whoever the winner of this match is, is supposed to get the match with Gotch on Labor Day in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hackenschmidt is unable to throw Zabisco at all. They actually wrestle 90 minutes instead of the 60. Oh, wow. But did uh, Zabisco throw him? Zabisco didn't throw him. Okay. It was, so it nobody was, threw him. No, it was a 90-minute draw. Okay. But by the rules they had set forth, mm. if Gotch didn't throw Zabisco, Zabisco was a winner. So that should have been the person that Gotch wrestled. Now, yeah. from a business standpoint, Gotch definitely wanted to wrestle Hackenschmidt more. That was a much bigger money match. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was... I cannot say he was afraid of losing, mm. but he definitely did everything in his power to avoid wrestling Zabisco again and didn't wrestle Zabisco again. <clears throat> so, after this match where Hackenschmidt is unable to throw him, Gotch says, You know, it was a draw. I beat Zabisco in two straight falls last year. I'm going to wrestle Hackenschmidt. So it they, sounds like he was a little afraid of Zabisco. Yes, that was the conclusion I drew. So I've done, I've written two books on Zabisco's career. Uh huh. The first one is Gotch versus Zabisco, and it was about leading up to that match, mm-hmm. and then the three year campaign Zabisco had mm-hmm. to try and get another rematch with Gotch. Okay. And then the second book is Double Crossing the Gold Dust Trio because yeah. he's gone from the United States. For seven years. He leaves in 1914 to go back because he realizes Gotch retires in 1930 and he realizes he's not going to get a shot. Right. And he's going back to Poland and he enlists in the Polish army at 34 because World War One's going on. Right. And he becomes a prisoner of war. He has lots of run-ins uh, with both the Russians and the Germans. In 1920, he's going to come back to the United States, okay. and he'll actually get a world title run at in his early 40s. Oh, okay. 
But we're getting way ahead of our story. That'll probably be a future podcast episode. <clears throat> Not only is Hackenschmidt struggling, he hurts his knee some more in training. Now, there was always a story that Ad Santel, Adolph Ernst, mm-hmm. Hackenschmidt had trained, hurt him on purpose for $5,000 paid by Gotch before this match. Oh. And I will tell you that's absolute poppycock. Mm-hmm. I don't believe it for a second, and I'll, I'll tell you why. In a minute. Just like when Vince McMahon offered Harley Race a big bunch of money to ruin the Starcade. He did. I know. <laughs> he actually did that. But Gotch did not offer Ad Santel $5,000. Yeah. He didn't offer him $500. Because um, Hackenschmidt always claimed that he banged knees with uh, Dr. Uh, Benjamin Roller, who was training him for the match, mm-hmm. when they were wrestling, and that's what caused the swelling in the knee again. Oh, okay. The condition he had was just aggravated by the training and the wrestling he hadn't been doing for a while. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he did bang knees, and I'm sure that it didn't help. Oh, yeah. But... So, add Santel. If you're willing to tell people that you tried to cripple your mentor, you know, 20 years ago, I could see you being a spy in the camp. Yeah. And it's always believed that Gotch had a spy mm-hmm. in Hackenschmidt's camp. Oh, okay. But he saw the matches that Hackenschmidt had with his training partners. Mm-hmm. Gotch knew where he stood. He knew he was going to beat him easy. Yeah. He, he was not that troubled in the first match three years ago. Do you know how much Gotch made for the second Hackenschmidt match? They drew 30,000 fans. They would not draw 30,000 fans to a wrestling match again until the 1930s with Jim Londis. Wow. So, but in that match in 1911, they drew third, over 30,000 fans to the Chicago ballpark. Sure. I think it was Kaminsky mm-hmm. to see that rematch. Do you know how much uh, Gotch made? Probably 15 bucks. No, $13,000. Really? Yes. Do you think Frank Gotch is going to take $5,000, almost half of what he made, and give it to some guy to hurt a guy he knew he was going to beat and beat the snot out of three years ago? He'd be a damn fool. Right. He was way too good of a businessman for that. Yeah. He might have gave him, you know, 50 bucks to spy on... So how did they make $13,000 back in 19... What was it? You said Because they drew 30,000 fans, and they sold the film rights for it. So Uh the film rights... Their film of this match and the um, a lot of the shoot contest matches were on film. Mm-hmm. But I that mean, film has all been lost. Even Kamala didn't make that much in his one WrestleMania appearance. Yeah, but this was the biggest this match of this was the biggest match. Even the Goldust Trio, mm-hmm. who made money hand over fist in the twenties, yeah, never had a single payday like this payday. Okay, so this was so this was a one of a once in a lifetime between thing. the film rights, the actual gate, and there was another source of money. And guess who was involved in the promotion of this before he became the New York City promoter? Oh, um, Jack Curley. I was gonna say crooked as a dog's hind leg, and he cheated guy or he cheated Hackenschmidt out of most of his money. His last name was Curly because he. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> he was. And so he uh, gives Hackenschmidt thirteen thousand. Mm-hmm. Got or I'm sorry, he gives Gotch thirteen thousand. He's actually supposed to be giving Hackenschmidt fifteen thousand mm-hmm. because they lured him back for this match. Yeah. 
And I think all told, he got a couple thousand dollars in a ticket back to England and just... Yeah, get out. Yeah. So, and Curly and the other promoters kept all the rest. Yeah. But I, I think the gate was well over 30000 Oh, wow. Yeah. Back then, that was... So you're talking 30000 and I think they got 5000 or 10000 for the film rights. Man, that's... Yeah, it was, it was big, big money. Because you're talking 1911. Yeah, um, I was going to say, that was that was huge money back then. So, Gotch pretty much goes into semi-retirement after that match. He wrestles in 1912 a few matches. He wrestles in 1913. He is constantly downplaying the challenge of Zabisco mm-hmm. to the fact to the point where newspapers in the United States who've always been extremely friendly to Gotch mm-hmm. started saying Gotch is for the first time ever showing a yellow streak when it comes to Stanislaus Zabisco. Uh-huh. It was the biggest money match that existed out there and he didn't want any part of it. Mm-hmm. So people can draw their own conclusions. My but- conclusion was he was an aging champion. He and Zabisco were the same age, but he had a lot more money. No, they weren't. No, they were not. Uh, he was born in 1877, so Zabisco's three years younger. And Zabisco had a lot less mileage on him than Gotch had on him at that time. Yeah. So, And I think that he just saw a young, hungry challenger who was catching up in catch wrestling. Hmm. Maybe he could have beat him. Maybe he couldn't. But he certainly didn't want to risk it. I was going to say, it sounded mm-hmm. like that he was just scared and didn't want to lose his title. Yeah. And yeah. it doesn't mean he would have, but he was worried enough that Zabisco could beat him. Yeah. That he wanted no part of him again. And then uh, Gotch retires in April 1913. Well, Zabisco sticks around for another year, mm-hmm. thinking that maybe he will come out of retirement, but Gotch doesn't, which sets off a whole series of events to try to replace Gotch, um, which I talked about in Mass Marvel to the Rescue. The next podcast episode, we're going to stick with Zabisco, and I'm going to talk about what he did Mm. the last year he was here, and because he has a feud with a famous uh, Estonian wrestler, it was part of Russia at the time. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if he would have seen himself as an Estonian or not back then, because it was part of the Russian Empire. But because uh, Hackenschmidt was an Estonian, yeah, oh, okay. But his nickname was the Russian Lion. Mm. Um, but every time I talk about the guy that he defeated in a legitimate contest here, the Estonian wrestling lobby sends me emails telling me, "No, no, no! They paid him more money than they could have ever taken in yeah. in this match for him to drop the uh, for." the guy that Zabisco beat to drop to Zabisco in a work match. It was not a work match. It was a boring, legitimate contest. Mm. And um, because he's a huge hero, as he should be, because this guy was great. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, in the 1915 New York City International Tournament, nobody could touch the guy in Greco-Roman wrestling. Yeah. yeah. But Zabisco was a special wrestler. So there's no shame... And somebody not being able to beat Zabisco, but apparently I have offended uh, oh, yeah. the Estonian wrestling lobby without ever intending to. I didn't even I'm know just there reporting. was an Estonian wrestling oh, yes. lobby. <laughs> so. yes. He's a huge hero over there. They've written books about him and everything over there. Yeah. And I don't, uh, and I'm not going to tell you who he is. Tune into the next podcast and you'll know yeah. <laughs> who he is. 
if you've read my stuff, you already know who he is. But, um, yeah, he's a big deal over there. But I, I kid you not, I wrote several. One of them was that he did not die of pneumonia. Mm-hmm. He and his mentor, who actually got wrestled in his last match, George Lurich, uh-huh. they died in Russia in 1920 or 1921. Mm-hmm. They both caught typhoid fever. One died, the other mm. one recovered. Yeah, but he died of pneumonia five weeks later. Mm. Well, they were running from the Bolsheviks at the time. Oh, okay. So this, he identified himself as an Estonian historian, mm-hmm. and he said, "No, they didn't die of that. That they were killed by the Bolsheviks, which could be true. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Bolsheviks controlled the newspapers there. Yeah." They could have put that story out that these guys died of that when they actually killed them. Uh-huh. So I said, can you tell me where you got this source of this information? Because I pulled it from the newspaper articles of the time. Do you have, you know, archive source or something like that? Because if you do, I will gladly change it. I want to be yeah. as historically, factually accurate as I can be. Right. And never responded back to me. So... I will left that as the official. That's what they died of. Until you give me a source that says mm-hmm. differently, mm-hmm. and I will gladly change it. So I put something else out, and then now it was aggressive. You don't know what you're talking about, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, l- let me put it to you this way. I said, I know what my sources are, and I can cite all of them. Mm-hmm. I have asked you before, because I would be happy to correct the official record, Mm-hmm. If you have a Russian archive source or something that I don't have access to right. that shows that that is what indeed happened to them, I will gladly change that. Mm-hmm. But until you produce a source, you can take your insults and everything else and fly, go fly a kite. Right. You know, I'm not going to have a battle of the wits with an unarmed person. Right. Give me a source. I'll be happy to change it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm trying not to rant because I, I'm sure that fine. I'm sure they're coming from a, a, a decent uh, place without sources. Well, <laughs> maybe they do, you know, because they might be second language English speakers. No, it's true. But I, I thought I was pretty clear the two or three times. I mean, they're speaking to me on the emails in English, mm-hmm. so either they're using a translation or, or something else. Are they able to insult you coherently? Oh, he insulted me pretty well. <laughs> I'd, I'd say he understands what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I'm I'm gonna let that one go. He didn't make me nearly as mad as Disney Plus did. So. Oh yeah, well, yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna blast every single person. <laughs> no, I, I, we, don't, we I, I don't ever want to bring politics into this because I think that just upsets people and affects right. people and gets people to quit listening. Yeah, but if I wanted to talk about our politics, I could go on a rant for about three hours. Yeah. Well, we're the Wrestling <coughs> we, History Podcast. Right. And, well, and we'll never go into that because all you do when you start talking politics is you offend, just like religion, you just offend the hell out of people. Yeah. yeah. You you make one part of the population like, oh, yeah, he's great. Oh, yeah, he right. knows it. And, and the other like, part like, yeah. Yeah, this guy's an idiot. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's that's one of the things we won't talk about ever on this Absolutely. podcast. Absolutely. Other than make fun of stupid people to get out and challenge the UAW workers. You weren't here for that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, to, to cut the long story short, this genius pulls up an SUV. There's like 200 mm. UAW workers out there. 
and decides to start insulting them up to and including racial slurs. Oh, my favorite. And they don't, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they don't start pounding the snot out of him right away that right. shows a lot of restraint on their part. Yeah. Until he snatches the sign from one of the workers. Well, then they commence to beat him about the head and shoulder and give him a kick in the rear towards his vehicle and just say, get out of here. Which is great restraint. Yeah. If you're taking on 200 people and you don't come out of that dead, yeah. they, they were just showing great restraint. So his wife or girlfriend or significant other or whoever he's keeping company with at this moment mm. jumps out and starts giving him the same deal. <laughs> and one of the other workers just takes his side and goes, wow. <laughs> now, it's paper in a stick. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to do much damage. But she at least had the sense to go... This is not very smart to be and get back. No. So they both get the SUV and they take out. But I always said they buried the lead on the story because yeah. the very last sentence: witnesses said they saw several children in the back seat. You know, I've never. I, just the thought of like being so angry at people, you're like, you know what? I'm gonna use that word. Yeah, <laughs> just get yeah. out of your car. Whew. Head empty. Yeah, no that, thoughts. Yeah, I'm gonna say that, that's that, you... that's a good way to not. Be around too much yeah. longer. You know, when I, if I would have oh, pulled up and like, you know what, it's not worth it today. <laughs> Just keep going. <laughs> I try very hard because it's easy to get angry behind the wheel of the car. Oh and yeah, it I is. try very hard when I leave every day to go. Okay, I'm going to run into a couple of stupid people on the road today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and instead of getting all mad about it, just go, oh, there they are. I knew I'd run into them. Mm-hmm. If I survive, it's a good day. Yeah. If I don't get hit, and I mean, I almost got head on in the rain the other day. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they were looking at their phone or whatever else it was. And they're not supposed to. That's against the law now. So. Yeah. Well, it's a good, it's good common sense, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, so, I guess we're going to have to talk about this review. Oh, do so, in the interest of fairness, <laughs> I said that I wanted to review... An AEW match because we have not reviewed an AEW match. And we're not going to review too many modern matches. I want to get back to getting into some of the 50s stuff again. But because we've reviewed several WWE matches, I thought it was only fair to review an AEW match. And Buddy Matthews was one of my favorite wrestlers when he was Buddy Murphy. I've liked him since he's been Buddy Matthews and he's done some stuff on the independents. I am not as familiar with Andre Elidolo stuff from Mexico, but the stuff that he did in WWE wasn't too bad. Mm-hmm. So I said, let's review this match that AEW is marketing as a classic. Well, as soon as we pulled it up, I saw it was a ladder match. And already I was like, okay. oh, I don't know about this. I'm the, the ladder matches are so overdone. I'm sick of seeing them. Mm-hmm. So before I share my thoughts or lack thereof on this match, what did you think of it? Have you ever seen a ladder match before? I think the ladders were the better actors, yeah. So was this your first <laughs> ladder match you've ever been exposed to? I, I saw one in WWE where stuff actually happened. You know, whenever I was a kid, you know, they'd take the ladder, they'd actually hit each other with it, the ladders would actually break. Um, but it was, yeah. Typical. What you'd expect. They uh, ought to fire the guy who got those ladders. <laughs> yeah. Were those things weight tested for 580 pounds? I think they were. They got them for quality, you know. Those aren't going to break, guys. <laughs> Don't worry. 
No, but yeah, it's um, just my thing is, you know, if you don't want to use breakaway letters, that's fine. But these guys are gonna be in wheelchairs at forty, forty-five years old. Oh, they yeah. keep taking bumps like that. So I saw four bumps on the ladder, and not a single ladder broke on any of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that they're taking all of that impact on that ladder. If it breaks, it gives a little bit. Mm-hmm. But when it ain't breaking, you just hit that ladder and bounce on that metal. And yeah. I have one thing about the match, though. What sense did it make for the two minutes where they were handcuffing each other to the to the ropes. Oh, Where did she get the the wire cutters? Yeah, yeah. And, and she just happened to have a <laughs> pair of bolt cutters under the ring, or they weren't even small ones. They no, were Looney Tunes. Yeah, I mean, it was. I'm just wondering what it did make. It, once again, it made no sense in the match. So, who was the producer for this match? Who came up with the great booking of this match? I mean. The handcuff spot made no sense. It mm-hmm. was pulled off very poorly. Why would you handcuff an idiot and then be that close to them with the key in your hand? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was wrong of me. Mr. Idiot, I should have been more appropriate. <laughs> um, uh, see, I'm feeling my bad side coming up here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, all right, I've had it. So this is why I hate modern professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. You get this gimmicky crap out there that's nothing but a bunch of spot monkey crap. Mm-hmm. There's no wrestling. It makes no sense. There's no logic. It's not a good story. Right. I wasted 10 minutes of my time that I could have been watching a good television show. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, 10 minutes of the British sewing bee might have been better than that. Okay. But I know El Dragon Return of a Warrior is better than that. I know Vikings is better than that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and WWE, you're not getting a pass because you do some of the same stupid, gimmicky nonsense, mm-hmm. spot monkey foolishness. Whose acting is worse? I think the acting. Well, no, I can't say it's more childish either. Because I was going to say WWE is more childish, AEW is more uh, juvenile, and makes no sense. But they're mm-hmm. all both very childish. Yeah. That's another thing I don't like about it. Mm-hmm. It's like children wrote this show for other children. Yeah. Yeah. Do grown adults talk like this? I was watching a training video at work the other day. Right. And one of my main issues with it is at some point they start talking about applauding each other and everything. And I was like, do grown adults really talk like that? No. Uh, uh, my generation, typically. Um, I don't. I haven't heard it from your generation that much. I was gonna say I've never heard it from any generation, really. I mean, it's I'm I'm Gen Z, and I get lost in the slang sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I did notice I was using a lot of slang last week, and oh, yeah. I, I attributed that to your uncle Dan and his dragging down my vocabulary. Oh yeah, I've been trying to keep it from you, but you know what? I have lots of things I could say that I'm not going to say because of our listeners oh, out yeah. there don't deserve yeah. to hear it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we do have the no cussing rule, so. No. But, yeah, no, I just, 
when I was watching that, like the facial expressions were great. You know, they they got and Buddy the facial Matthews expressions. is so good, and to waste him and something like <laughs> this where he could have got hurt, and yeah. little Julia Hart could have got hurt too. Now yeah. I tell you what, her shivering was quite convincing when she it was. <laughs> and I do have to say, I'm glad that Andre Elilo got the mask back that he wore in Mexico, but hasn't worn for the last seven years that uh-huh. he's been wrestling. I'm but that sure was, that meant a lot to that, him. That was part of his family lineage. And what did, did Buddy Matthews steal it out of his suitcase? How did they end up with it in the you, first place? You know what? Well, since I don't watch AEW and I don't watch WWF, I, I really don't know. So we're, we're going to quit watching modern wrestling because I can't yeah. take too much more of this. Yeah. I got to say, the eras. I was actually excited about it for a second because yeah. I just thought it was a straight match. And Buddy Matthews in a straight match is, is very mm-hmm. good. The best match in WWE in 2021, yeah. and I'm still going to say that this was the case, Roman Reigns is a bigger star. So I do think yeah. he does is going to be big, but the best match in 2021 was Buddy Mur- uh, Murphy, that's what he was known as in WWE, versus Aleister Black, which is what Malachi Black was known as in WWE. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was at Tables Letters, but it wasn't a Tables match. Yeah. It was just a good, hard-hitting hmm. match. And if he would have been doing something like that, it would have been great to watch. I was going to say, if they would have if they would have done wrestling... But as soon as I saw the ladders, I'm like, oh, no. And and once again, we're talking about the ladders being underdone. Remember, if you was going to see a ladder match, you had to wait for a Starcade or a WrestleMania. Or there's something they that happens once on a year. the weekly TV yeah. show. But now it's on a week... Yeah, it's like you said, now it's on a weekly TV show. You're like... This isn't special anymore, you yeah. know? This is why I quit watching wrestling. And, and AEW wasn't even around then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just WWE, and it was so terrible, I couldn't watch anymore. Yeah. Um, and I'd become an MMA fan anyway. Mm-hmm. So wrestling history is much better than watching this stuff today. That's why you It had so to great. change yeah. because when MMA came out, kayfabe would have had to change because people... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody was going to buy it, even to suspend their disbelief. That so it had to change into something else. Mm-hmm. Didn't need to change into this. Yeah. You know, extreme gymnastics on one horrible. Uh, I wouldn't even call it community theater. It's good. Some of the community well, theater is pretty good. This is a bunch of Arrested Development, and it starts with Vince McMahon and his. Uh, Right hand stooge Kevin Dunn. Mm-hmm. Should I call him Mister Stooge? I don't want him to be. Well, go, go ahead and call him Mister stooge. stooge. Yeah, just let's be classy. Yeah, he's he's been Vince McMahon's walk behind her for thirty or forty, fifty years. Mm-hmm. He's annoying as hell if you listen to everybody on the uh, interview shows. But he is a producer. And he and Vince don't want it to be called wrestling. They want it to be called sports entertainment, mm-hmm. which nobody on the face of this earth calls it sports entertainment. Right. You know what? That's why I was thinking about Elon Musk. Uh-huh. And his ex. Yeah. Nobody calls that X. Everybody calls it Twitter. Yeah. Just like Vince called it sports entertainment, nobody called that sports entertainment. Everybody called it wrestling. You will never alienate your fan base faster than being ashamed of being a part of the industry you are. Yes, exactly. and that's what Vince was always yeah. was. So he changed it to sports entertainment, and now we've got X. Yeah. X is the unknown factor, and that's what's going on there. 
I tell you, you know, I didn't even use Twitter, so it, I'm not missing anything. You know, I use it a little bit because there's a, there's a couple guys that have a history um, club in Indiana, and uh, they're really into the wrestling during the oh. classic era when it was legitimate. Mm-hmm. And I've met some really cool people on there. Yeah. So that's why I didn't get rid of it when they went to some ridiculous name. Yeah. Because I still occasionally will meet like-minded people on there. Uh, there's a new uh, follower I've gotten, I followed him back, called Wrestling1861. Mm-hmm. And they got some great stuff from the era that I study. Oh, okay. So I, I can't completely... Okay. And well, Facebook is handy for me because I've got such a huge family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when Solomon was born... We counted up. Aunt Vicky said, "If she got everything right with spouses and everything, he was the 80th member of the family." Wow! And we've had births since then. Yeah. yeah. Vicky used to always His say, "Vicky used to always say when we showed up, people thought a flash mob, had, <laughs> <laughs> and it was just our family." The family reunion was pretty big. Oh yeah. Well, we used to go to the tavern picnic, and the tavern picnic was 80 percent our family. Uh huh. So. It starts pouring down rain, and it's the year Beck and Tim got married, 2008. Uh-huh. And they were getting married like two weeks from now, and Vicky was not at the court. She was helping shepherd him through everything. Uh-huh. But we're standing on there. It's pouring down rain, and Vicky looks at Tim and goes, Tim, look around here. She goes, because in two more weeks, you're going to be related to 80% of the people. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, I mean, we filled the biggest pavilion up at that park. Yeah. So... Do we have anything more to say about this match? That was painful. No, I mean it was over as quick as it began, which I think is about the kind of thing I could say. The, the, the actors didn't deserve it. The wrestlers did not deserve that whatsoever. Mm-mm. No. And they were moving pretty slow because they were setting the spots up, and that, yeah, that doesn't help either. No. Because one of the Buddy Matthews' biggest attributes is he's extremely athletic. Mm-hmm. And he's pretty quick for a guy that's that muscular. Yeah. yeah. You can't really show that when you're doing these spots in this spot fest match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this is uh, not pertaining to the match, but um, something that I heard the other day on the, the Dutch Mantel uh, podcast. They were talking about um, Hogan and Flair being big liars. And, you know, basically both of them saying they What's were... What's happened to Rick? Uh, he, he was never in Hogan territory. Yeah, I know. But, you know, like he said, he was said that he, he was in Puerto Rico when Bruiser got killed. And he said he Which faked he that heart not. attack. And then he said he faked a heart attack during that last match. Which he should never, ever get in a ring again. Yeah. But they were saying the reason that Brody was killed was because he was going to buy into that territory... And Jose Gonzalez was afraid that he was going to get fired. Well, because Jose Brody, Gonzalez was a part owner of that. Well, the thing is, Brody had Jose Gonzalez fired from WWE, or WWF at the time. I'd never heard that story. Oh, okay. Well, it's 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 on the on the Dutch Mantel. I was going to ask you. They said I that I never heard that. Now I heard, and Dutch Mantel was one of the people that said it. That it was Dutch Mantel and some other wrestler said that when Brody used to wrestle him in both Puerto Rico and New York, mm-hmm. Brody just walloped the tar out of him. Yeah. It left marks all over him. Yeah. And he was getting frustrated about it. And this was years before he actually stabbed him in the shower. Yeah. But that he told um, 
at least Dutch Mantell and maybe one other person, one day I'm going to kill that guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he was tired of getting beat on. And he said that happened several times. Okay. Now, and In fact, I think Dutch Mantell said that Brody walloped him you know, a few days before that, he had Mark yeah. Cameron. They well, and that's what ha- um, he was saying when um, he went down to Puerto Rico because Mantel was booking in uh, the what was it CW CCW or something like that down there at the time it happened. That Abdul Butcher told Brody to buy into the company. Um, there was you know they had whatever it was. Would they let Brody buy into the company? Well, if Gorilla Monsoon and Abdullah the Butcher were part of the owners, too. Gorilla Monsoon was part of the ownership because his son was part of the ownership. Yeah. But anyway... Uh, oh, sorry. Victor Jovica, or what was his name? He, he was the guy in Puerto Rico um, that Gorilla was really close to mm-hmm. and said he was like a son to him. But yeah. after Gorilla died, his family said that was his that son. That was his son. Well, anyway, all I know is they said that they were going to, uh, Abdul had put it in Brody's ear to buy into the territory. Jose Gonzalez was afraid that he would get too much power and Brody would fire him again, get him fired again. And that's why he... And who said this? That was on that was on the Dutch Mantel podcast. Did Dutch Mantel say that? Yes. Well, it could be true. Dutch was the booker down there for yeah. a long time, so... So yeah. I had never heard that that's what it was about. Mm-hmm. I had always heard it was over the fact that Brody would take liberties with him. Yeah. Um, well, they said Brody was one of the stiffest guys in the in the business to work with, and if he didn't like you, you weren't getting over. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, I and, knew that he could be difficult to deal with sometimes. Mm-hmm. He got ticked off at Paul Bosch one time because Bruce Pritchard, Pritchard was talking about it. Mm-hmm. Buck Robley is a good friend of Brody's. Yeah. Was a good friend of Brody's, I guess mm-hmm. we should say. Buck Robley, Buck Robley's gone, too. He yeah. died a few years ago. Robley was the booker and told Paul Bosch, I'm going to bring Brody in. I know you've had trouble with him, mm-hmm. but he's my buddy. I can handle him. Yeah. They bring Brody in. Mm-hmm. Brody's mad about something. He goes and sits in the middle of the ring, cross-legged, Anza style, mm-hmm. and just sits there. And they said, Robley is sitting there while the guy that's supposed to be wrestling Brody is standing there. And Robley's like, Frank, come on, we can work this out. We can work this out, begging him at ringside. And so the guy, he just tells the guy, start kicking him, punch him, do something. Well, the guy doesn't really want to do that. Because if he makes Brody mad, Brody's going to get up off the mat. Six foot eight of them. Yeah, and he's going to start. (laughs) That's a match we'll have to review. Let's do maybe Brody versus Crusher Blackwell in AWA. Okay. And so. then you can see how big Brody is. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because I know there's several of those matches out there. Yeah. yeah. That one from Florida we saw when he was Frank Goodish wasn't too bad either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that was a tag team match, wasn't it? It was. He yeah. was tag teaming with King Curtis. Is it King Curtis Ikea? Yeah. I think so. King Curtis Ikea. Mm-hmm. And they were wrestling. Um, it was Jerry Briscoe and it was... Whoever the poor schlob was with Jerry Briscoe is the one I got pinned. Yeah. But I think we've beaten this horse to death. Anything anybody wants to say before we close the show up? No, I think we covered it all. And then the next episode we will...
continue with Stanislaus Zabisco's career in 1914, mm-hmm. what happened to him between the war and his first foray back into the United States. It will probably take us three podcasts to kind of go through. I mean, mm-hmm. I wrote two books about him. Yeah. Uh, Gotch versus Zabisco is really about the first part of his career here in the U.S. And then Double Cross and the Gold Dust Trio because he ends up double crossing the Gold Dust Trio. Mm-hmm. And one of the most famous double crosses. That's all I really knew about Stanislaw Zabisco when I first started researching him 10 years ago. Yeah. Was that he was the guy that double-crossed the Goldust Trio promotional group. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't forget, we are going to uh, review the uh, Hard Times promo. Ooh, yeah, we got to do that. And um, that one, and then uh, I was going to say something else, but I forgot. So, so I definitely yeah. want you to watch the Hard Times promo because you're not a mm-hmm. wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. You might be after you watch... Oh, yeah. promo. It's it's very um very uh, well uh, it, it's full of emotion and it's very memorable. Mhm. Uh you know you almost think that Dusty made it up off the top of his head. Yeah. Cuz yeah. I'm sure he did. Mhm. He knew where he wanted to go. Mm. Most of those guys did. Yeah. And unlike Steiner Matt that you saw last week <laughs> Where he kind of knew where he wanted to go, but he never got there. He got lost coming around to Far Bend. You'll see with Dusty, just the absolute master that he was Mm -hmm. on the mic. He kind of knew where he wanted to go, Mm -hmm. and where he took you was even better. Mm -hmm. I feel like you have to be good at improv if you're in wrestling. Yes, they said. Oh, yeah. um, Yeah. In that 350 days that Dan and I reviewed, they said that you had to be a great um, actor Mm. In addition to everything, because you had to be able to do improv. Yeah. Okay. Greg Valentine is not a great actor. Remember him in Rhythm and Blues? Oh yeah, but I mean, they, they those guys all gave <laughs> those guys all gave up when they went to WWF. Okay. If you saw Junkyard Dog and you never saw him in Mid South, oh, yeah. you would have never known why he was so special. Mm. If you hadn't seen Hacksaw Duggan in his early Mid South run, when you saw these guys in WWF. Okay, Randy Savage came, and he still worked as hard as he ever did. Mm-hmm. Rick Steamboat came, and he still worked as hard as he ever yes, did. Yes, he did. Ric Flair came, and he still worked as hard as he ever did. Yeah. Other than that? Yeah. None of those guys that came from the territories mm-hmm. did diddly squat other mm-hmm. than those guys. They worked hard. Everybody mm-hmm. else started taking it off, mailing it in. Mm-hmm. You know, they well, never worked as hard as they did when they were in the territories or... Well, those, especially those guys from WCW, they probably knew they was towards the end of their career. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I think Dusty Rhodes didn't care if he had to wear yellow polka dots. He was like, hey, no. I'm getting paid. He's like, and I'm going to get it over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He took it as a challenge, which he did. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think we were all pretty well behaved this week. We didn't go off on anybody too bad. So yeah. Tony Khan is an idiot. Well, <laughs> there we go. Had to I had to get it, it in there. <laughs> I tell you what, his acumen as a, a booker is uh-huh. only surpassed by his abis- abilities as a business leader. Yeah, he could not pass a management one hundred and one course, right? Because what you do not ever do hire your friends. Well, and you don't you don't hire your friends. You don't let problems fester, right? One I used to show this clip all the time because I would tell people this is the exact opposite of management. Mm-hmm. But there's a scene from Are You Being Served where the one of the 
employees has started an, a, a talent agency, mm-hmm. and he's basically trying to get all the other employees' jobs. Right. And the uh, they're talking to the owner of the company, and Captain Peacock's there. He said, well, I mean, I we, we can give them more money or they're going to leave. And Mr. Rumble says, but there's one option you forgot. If I just hold my horses, this may all blow over. Never. No. Nope. Never. never. It never, ever will. But Captain Peacock says, may I say, sir, that it takes an executive of your caliber to come up with a solution like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he doesn't realize it's an insult. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. But, yeah, it never does. You cannot let problems fester. Had Tony Khan addressed that problem the first time Adam Page went into business for himself, because that's where it all stems back yeah. from, the Bucks and Kenny Omega sticking their nose into it, and all, that mm-hmm. all came later. What When Adam Page went into business for himself, if Tony Khan had called him in, suspended him, and yeah. said, I am not tolerating this nonsense, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have had the nonsense. No. But they know they can do whatever they want and get away with it. Mm-hmm. I wish he would improve as a booker because I really would. But he absolutely, without question, has to improve as a business leader or he needs to hire people that can do it and stay out of the way. In fact, that's what I would like to challenge Tony Khan. I know he'll never hear this podcast probably. but And would never do it anyway. Right. But I I challenge you to take a back seat, relax, hire somebody for talent relations, and hire a proper booker. Yeah. That's my challenge to Tony Khan to make AEW a there viable product. A, there aren't a ton of bookers out there anymore. You've got yeah. the guy from uh, Ring of Honor, mm-hmm. uh, Hunter Johnson. Um, I wouldn't give you two cents for the bookers for Impact. Yeah. And most of the people that have been with WWE in that capacity are all loyal to Triple H, so they're not going yeah. anywhere. It would be easier for on the talent relations part. Because mm-hmm. I've told you, I think they've got three strong candidates in-house. Yeah. And that's Billy Gunn, Jeff Jarrett, and Dustin uh, Rhodes. Mm-hmm. Any of those three could be much better talent relations oh, yeah. than Tony is. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I, I just... that I really wish AEW was better. Yeah. And <clears throat> we finally reviewed a match from theirs. And I had to rip it apart. We need to find something good from there that we can. Yeah. Well, it's you know it's 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 kind of like Mac Jones. You know, you find you try to find something nice to say about the guy, but you just can't. You know, at least he's not a Kansas City Chief or a Philadelphia Eagle. Yeah, that, so we yeah. said something nice. Yeah. About him. So <laughs> he's not on any of the teams we like. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's it's one of the guys said. You know, he says. It doesn't matter how good of a cook you are. If you use bad food, Correct. you're going to have bad food. Referring to Mac Jones' ability to play football. But that's another podcast altogether. So we'll just but it <laughs> leave it there. It does have applicability to wrestling. Because if you don't know what you're doing, mm-hmm. and you're booking it like an amateur dream matches and all this other nonsense, there's no coherent story from one week to the next. Right. And quite honestly, that's what killed WCW. That's what was mm-hmm. wrong with them. Start storylines to go mm-hmm. nowhere. You wouldn't know why things happened the way they happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's exactly right. You'll see a, a match on AEW and be like, oh, that's going to be a great angle. Mm-hmm. And then nothing. Right. And the show like, is schizophrenic. 
Yeah. yeah. It's a bunch of garbage with a few diamonds that you mm-hmm. find every once in a while. Now, hopefully with Adam Copeland being But you could say there, the exact same thing for WWE programming, too. Yeah. Yeah. Now, hopefully with Adam Copeland, things will get a little better. Yes. Um, I have always... Now, I didn't like Adam Copeland when he was Edge mm-hmm. and with the brood and had long hair. When Adam Copeland was the rated R superstar, I, I found out that I, I rather enjoyed his matches. Yeah. So, um, the football spear was kind of one of my favorite things that he did. So, it yeah. was... I don't know. I'm just for Clemp this week. I'm trying to... Nah. Trying to rein myself in, not use so much slang. Ah, I see. You're from, you was born and raised in South St. Louis. Get over it. I'm going to use slang. From, <laughs> I'm from a poor working class family, too. Uh, uh, same as we are. I remember... Uh, we'll end with this, because this is one of my favorite anecdotes with my dad. Mm-hmm. So we were sitting there one day... And, you know, they talk about middle-class families on happy days and crap like that. Yeah. So Dad and I are sitting at the table because when I was, when my mom and Dad got married, because this will make the antidote uh, as well. Uh, well, I don't know that it'll make the antidote funny, but I want to end the podcast on an upbeat note mm. this week. Uh-huh. So, so I realized when Mom and Dad got married, my sister Tracy, my sister Kelly... And my two cousins, Jackie and Kim, all mm-hmm. live with us. Plus my two natural sisters, Sharon Beck, and my mom. Yeah. And it was just me and dad. You know, because I got seven sisters. I was going to say, he was outnumbered. Oh, yeah. But, you know, every morning, get out of the bathroom. Get out of the bathroom. Get yeah. you out of the bathroom. Get out of the bathroom. So, but I realized nobody ever yells at dad to get out of the bathroom because dad... Mm-hmm. Gets up before everybody else. That's what I realized. People don't like getting up early in the morning. If you get up early in the morning, you get all your stuff done before everybody else gets up and starts pestering you. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. Dad would be sitting at the table at 5 o'clock, dressed, already had a shower, mm-hmm. reading his newspaper, drinking his coffee. So I'd get up 5, go in, get my shower, get dressed, go upstairs. Well, girls are all still in bed. Then they all get up and start fighting over the bathrooms. There's We only had two. Yeah. It's just... 800 square foot house, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I'd go up sit in the kitchen table. Dad had me a newspaper. I'd be reading the newspaper. And everybody yeah. else is yelling until mom gets up. And then everybody's getting out of the bathroom. Mm-hmm. So now they're all fighting over the downstairs bathroom. <laughs> the upstairs bathroom mom's got. Yeah. And so we're sitting there one day. And we had watched Happy Days the night before. And they were talking about middle class families. And I said, man, we're middle class, aren't we? And yeah. after he got done laughing, he almost spit his coffee all over the place. He said, boy, we are working class. Yeah. Yeah. Middle class. He goes, and we would be considered poor working class at that. Mm. Yeah. So At least you guys had two bathrooms. So remember at our house, we had oh, yeah. one, one in a goddamn sweat, or sorry, in a, in a sweat box. Yeah. Yeah. We we didn't have air conditioning and it didn't no, have central it, air. It was it was window units because that's the way it is a lot of times in the city. Yeah, because it's it cost me. I grew up with window units, mm-hmm. and mom and dad turned the window units off. Other the one in their bedroom was hot, but the the one in the kitchen got turned off when we were teenagers. When we got a little bit older, they had a little bit more money. Then the one in the kitchen ran like the one in their room. But when I was, mm-hmm. you know, twelve, thirteen years old. Yep. Well, if you had a room downstairs, you didn't care. Yeah, yeah. it was nice. If you had the upstairs bedroom, that was like being in a sauna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was brutal. 
But yeah, that, that I still remember Dad laughing his head off at that. He goes, "Boy, we are working class, <laughs> we are not middle class." Right. So I gave him a good laugh that morning. Yeah. So with that, we are going to end this. Uh, we'll talk about the topic I said we would, and we will review a couple of shows, and we'll give an update, maybe a rant or two. Who knows? I do. I I want to compliment you guys as we're closing. Okay. You were much more focused this week. You weren't rambling all over the place, and oh wow, it was yeah. it was it was much easier to control the chaos. <laughs> so I'm glad. And if I can get that print small enough, I'll get your names right on that art. Awesome. <laughs> Till next week, everybody. Or two weeks from now. Yep. We'll be back on November twenty seventh. Bye bye.